Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in Western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. Welcome, Deacon John. Can you introduce yourself and tell us some things about you, like your family, what parish you're assigned to, and what you do for a living? Good to be here with you today. I'm Deacon John Osnes. I'm assigned to Our Lady of the Black Hills at Piedmont, South Dakota. I've been a member there actually for 35 years, and I've spent all 21 years of my ordination uh, assigned to Our Lady of the Black Hills. My family basically grew up at Our Lady of the Black Hills, My wife and I have been married for 40 years. Joni is my wife, and we have three lovely daughters, and they brought us three wonderful sons. And as you might imagine, all I have is five granddaughters. Oh, yes. Yes, it's a, we haven't broke the mold yet. And we're blessed to have two of the families living right here in Rapid City, and the other one's still in Billings, Montana. I spent 40 years as a consulting engineer graduated from the South Dakota School of Mines, and uh, except for a couple trips to universities, I was here from 1972 on. And now I am retired. I retired uh, five years ago from engineering. Really, I had a great engineering career, but ministry became more and more important to me. And so as early as I thought I could retire and still pay for health care, I did. I was very fortunate to be able to do so and devote more time to diaconal ministry. So you said you've been a deacon for 21 years. What did your road to the diaconate look like? Was there inspiration to become a deacon? I have to mention Deacon Walt Wilson, who is a retired deacon at Our Lady of the Black Hills, but actually the first deacon, permanent deacon, that I became acquainted with is my wife Joni's uncle, Uncle Justy Lauer. He baptized our oldest daughter, and real, I, I should mention that I'm a convert from uh, the Methodist Church, and so my parents were not Catholic. All of Joni's family is Catholic, and we came together for that baptism. I don't know what Deacon Lauer said, but, but he brought us all together at that moment, and that thought that this minister could bring our family so close together. I'm sure our daughter Jennifer had something to do with it too, but whatever he said, I wish I could recall, there was suddenly a coming together of the, our different religious backgrounds at that baptism. Little did I know, you know, at that time that one baptism (laughs) means it counts uh, across the board. But no, Deacon Lauer was a great inspiration to me. And in fact, he let me wear his alb at my ordination. I have it to this very day. I only wear it about once a year because my wife says it's too short. (laughs) So I wear it uh, normally on the anniversary of my ordination. But the day I was ordained, Deacon Lauer was there, and I asked him, as a deacon, we serve the altar, we serve the word, we serve charity. What is the hierarchy? And Deacon Lauer said, John, be holy. Be holy. All the service that you can do flows from that call to holiness. And I thought to myself, why? Why is that so critical? And he had the answer. Deacon Lauer had the answer. He said, John, 
people will see you much like themselves because you've been in that parish, you're married, you have a secular job, and they want to know that it's possible for them to be holy. If you model holiness, they will say, oh, if that guy can be holy, so can I. And uh, it was just a fantastic uh, inspiration to me in my diaconal service after that. So what are some ways in which you work as a deacon in ministries in the church? I, uh, I'm scheduled to uh, preach once a month. And that's very important to me because of my Methodist background. When I got married, I recognized that uh, that calling probably wouldn't happen. I didn't know about permanent deacons at that time. And so that is important to break open the word, to make Christ present to people in that homily. That has been a, about once a month, now about 200 plus times, <laughs> I've preached. And, and hopefully I've touched a few hearts along the way with that preaching. The first ministry that I was called to was homebound and uh, funeral ministry. Father Mark McCormick was our pastor when I was ordained. And he said I really could use help here because he had three funerals within the first month he was there. Now, I didn't want to tell him that, frankly, you probably won't have three more funerals the rest of the year because Our Lady of the Black Hills was generally and still is a fairly uh, young people parish. There's us gray hairs there. but And so I said, oh, I can do this. I can do this. And the same kind of with the homebound, that there weren't that many homebound people and still aren't to this day. But I found that funeral ministry in particular, it really demonstrates the for lack of a better word, the power of ordination. Because even when you don't, the people don't know you, by being ordained, you can step into this very touchable moment in their lives. You know, not all have been to church regularly, and yet you're invited into their home to pray with them and to counsel them and to help them prepare a wonderful vigil and, and funeral for their loved one. That's kind of, the I think, one of the greatest gifts of ordination that allows you to enter into people's lives even when they don't know you very well. Now, obviously, at Our Lady of the Black Hills, a lot of people did know me already, having been there for 14 years before ordination. But nonetheless, these are very trying times for families a lot of times. And they're all also very grace times to sit with a dying person. I My wife was the coordinator of hospice volunteers at Regional Hospital, now Monument, for seven years, and she, she really has the gift of sitting with people in that moment of, on the threshold of heaven. She taught me so much about that, and I've grown so much from those moments. And then it kinda, that kind of overflows into um, other areas of ministry, primarily meeting people where they're at, and then hopefully taking them closer to the Lord. So one of the things that is important for a deacon is to be present in the parish, to be seen and to be moving through the parish life in a way that the priest can't, because he is reaching out to those couples in a different way than the priest can. What are some of the ways that you reach out to couples in the parish, you know, or families, or, or someone who is maybe just beginning that journey together, that you have a unique view as a deacon who's married with a wife, and all the things that come with being married. I really should be the greeter, not in front of the church, but at the doors, <laughs> because I truly believe that 
Hospitality is more than welcoming someone. It's getting to know them personally. And so I tend to sit at a mass and look around and see, who do I know here? Who looks new? And then I try to make a point that after mass is over, I catch them in the gathering area and introduce myself and find out that I have Partheimers because I've introduced myself to them two weeks ago or two months ago or something. But this way I get to know them and they get to know me at least that I can't remember last time I met them. But no, truly, it's really getting to know their families more than a name. Mm -hmm. And I really try to work on first names at the very least so we can develop relationships and then introduce them to other people that like if they're a younger family try to grab somebody else that's in the in the gathering area and introduce them to a young family because that's really part of a deacon's service I think is to be a, a facilitator of relationships because I'm I'm just one person but this way if a young family knows another family they'll get to know other young families like them and the same with us more senior families as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you're building community one relationship at a time. That's right. And that's, I think the Lord, if you think about the stories, yeah, he did speak the Sermon on the Mount to lots of people and fed them and so forth. But so much was one-on-one ministry. And so that, that's a great model for us as laity, mm-hmm. as deacons, and as priests, frankly. We live different lives and we have different gifts that we bring to the church. But it really is the ability to use whatever gifts God has given us to try to bring people closer to the Lord, to introduce them to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So what are some ways that you and your wife work together? Does she do much with you in the diaconate, or does she step back and let you be the deacon? That's kind of funny when we think about it, because when Joni and I, here in the Diocese of Rapid City, Virtually all the formation is done as a couple, with the exception of some of the practicums. And so we went through formation together. We had interviews with the deacon uh, review board, and, and we had always done ministry together. First, we, were, we presented engaged encounters for 15 years, and, and then we did sponsor couple uh, after that in our parish. And so we had always done ministry. We taught First Communion together, confirmation together. And so we always thought, well... We're a deacon couple when, if I'm ordained. And the first time you realize this isn't exactly the way it is, is you sit with your wife at the ordination, and then you're called forward, and you're separated. And the candidates sit in the center aisle on a chair, and bishop preaches a homily to us and so forth. I remember Joni saying, that's when it really hit me. I've already mentioned, though, she certainly supported me and taught me and been a great counsel to me, but not publicly. Mm-hmm. Until uh, we, my wife was the coordinator of evangelization and adult formation at Our Lady of the Black Hills. And we discovered, she discovered, an evangelization process called Christ's Life. And for five years, we coordinated that together up until uh, about 18 months ago. And so that process there, we were working hand in hand in public ministry together. Now, everybody knows Joni. In fact, I often say, I'm really not Deacon John. I'm really Joni's husband. Because as, as a church staff person, she makes lots and lots of calls and stuff like <laughs> that. And so everybody knows her voice. They only know mine from preaching once a month. 
I, I laugh just because I think that it's amazing how much a staff member at a parish can make your job so much easier. If you're known as your wife's husband, that's only going to help you do your ministry better. She's already opened many doors for you. She really has. Uh, I can totally concur with that thought, Karen. She makes my life easy other than the fact that she is so good. And I just try to keep up with her. <laughs> So can you tell me how God has worked in your life since you've began your ministry? It's been so rich, so rich that God has put me in places that I would have never expected to be. In doing that, I mentioned funeral ministry, but in other areas where you're walking in cold, and you're going, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And to just turn it over to the Holy Spirit, say a little prayer beforehand. And again, a great lesson that I learned from Joni is to listen. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give people is here we are in an interview and I'm doing a lot of talking. <laughs> but frankly, to sit in the room with somebody and just listen. And then the Spirit will give you whatever, if you do need to say something. And the main thing uh, that we can say is simply, may I pray with you? May I ask God's blessing upon you? And there is a special grace in being ordained there to the Trinitarian forms of the blessings and offer that. Really, we're offering God's blessing through the church then. You mentioned Deacon Justy as one of your first introductions to the permanent diaconate. Were there other people... Did you have that aha moment that I'm being called to the diaconate? Aha moments, many of them. And then many backsliding from that aha moment. Actually, Joni and I discerned the call to the diaconate for at least five years before we took the plunge. I often say it's my opinion is uh, that for couples coming together in marriage, they date a lot of people maybe, but one, one or the other is not ready to make that commitment. And so they don't get married. But finally, you find that person that you're both on the same page and you're ready to make that commitment. Well, that was kind of the story of our discernment of the call to the diaconate. I felt called. I felt like I had some gifts that God had given me some gifts to share with the, the church in an ordained way. But then, well, our kids are too small and Joni would be cold on the idea. And then she would hear the call or whatever. And she would say, well, maybe it is. Maybe we should go and investigate this further. And then I, maybe because my career was got real busy at that point or something, I wasn't ready. <laughs> How and old we, were your children at this point? So when I was ordained, our youngest daughter was 11. Next one was either 12 or 13. And the uh, oldest one was 16. So we were in formation five years. So we entered formation when the youngest one was six. We had to get uh, babysitters every Wednesday night. So that is pretty young for a family to be working through the formation of the diaconate and to be the discernment mm. process anyway. But we went back and forth for five years. And finally, uh, I think it's just that it just never goes away. This call is not going away, John. And uh, so the Lord kept knocking. And finally, we both opened the door and entered into formation. But I, I would say that when we entered in with a six-year-old and seven or eight-year-old and a 10 or 11-year-old, it was really not that big a burden. We had good friends. We had trusted sitters. And 
frankly, our kids have grown up in the diaconate. My homilies, I write them out full text, in part because that's kind of my legacy to my kids, I think. I keep, I keep a notebook of them, but they get the legacy right away, those that live out of town. I email them. I have Deacon Dad's homily service, <laughs> and I send them the homilies. And they're also some of my best reviewers. I feel naked if one of them, if either Joni or one of my kids hasn't already read that homily and given me some good counsel. Not that I always take good counsel, but I try. I like that you said the call didn't go away. It was still there, even if you were still discerning that that call. But the Lord opened the doors and provided you with the things you needed to discern it and to make that call obvious enough that this is the time we need to commit to it. There was the people in your lives at the time that you needed them, the good babysitters, the trusted friends, all that stuff, right, that was there. So the someone who is considering the diaconate, they don't need to be worried about it. God's going to take care of it. Men and couples that are discerning the diaconate, I think we as deacons and as the laity in a parish need to recognize the, the men and couples that seem to have a gift that could be brought to greater service to the Lord by considering the diaconate. I whisper in men's ears pretty regularly, have you ever thought about the diaconate? Do you say more to them, to nope. someone who's considering the diaconate? Not, not immediately. I'll say, you know, I just want to plant the seed. Mm-hmm. just want to plant the seed. And the good news is they know me. Yeah. And as much as my call is to be holy, uh, they also know my foibles and my faults. And so it probably gives them some courage, I hope. So as a result, uh, Deacon Jim Shear was in the choir when I was a music leader at Our Lay of the Black Hills, and I really didn't even know that he, he was interested, but I did mention it to him. And so it's just planting the seeds. And you plant a lot of seed that doesn't necessarily grow because maybe they're not the right place at, at that point mm-hmm. in time. But I always assure them if they really do hear that call, I always assure them that it's, it's a process. Every year, uh, you're going to have the opportunity. If it doesn't seem like it's right, if the Lord isn't calling you, he'll let you know. And the same with the diocese and the review board helps us to make those decisions. So now let's say we have someone who is considering the diaconate. What do you say to them as the confidence booster that this is, the Lord has placed this call on your heart. Mm -hmm. You need to discern it thoroughly. First of all, the great advice, pray about it. Mm -hmm. And we can pray together if you wish, but pray about it. But usually people have some, something that's a hesitation. And the, probably the most common one is, I have a family, I have a job, I don't know if I devote any time to being a deacon, much less the formation process. <laughs> so usually we just talk about those obstacles that they see. And because my kids were, our kids were very young, relatively young, this can be worked out and we can give you help you'll get help along the way with your family. I will admit to being a workaholic in my uh, engineering days. I also assure them that, you know what? If you're ordained as I was at 47, and you devote 10 hours a week to ministry, by the time you're 60, you're going to have lots and lots of experience. By the time you can give more time in ministry, you'll have lots and lots of experience. So don't worry about the number of hours that you can devote to ministry. You certainly want to put your family first, and you have to put your job as a second place to family. 
course, God is first, and right. he's the one that's calling you. Right. But with those earthly matters, your family and your job can't suffer from the ministry. The most surprising part of my ministry is that sharing that diaconate with people outside the church has been so rewarding. Almost every client I had as a consulting engineer, if they were with me for three months, they knew I was a deacon. It really changed happy hour. We would have great discussions. Most of them were not Catholic. At the consulting firm I worked for, people knew I was a deacon. When we had a tragedy happen at the office, I got a call. Could you gather the folks and pray with them? We had an invocation at our Christmas parties. I led it. That sense of ministry outside the parish that comes from being in a secular job, I would have never thought of it when I was going through formation, but it's the most surprising and probably, I often say, maybe somewhat facetiously, that I did, I've done more ministry outside of the parish than I ever did inside the parish, at least until I retired. Wow, that's amazing. I had never thought about the impact that a deacon would have just in their everyday life, being the deacon to someone who isn't in their parish. That's powerful. It is, and, and really that's our call to evangelization, every one of us. If you can talk about the football game around the coffee table, or excuse me, around the coffee pot at work about how great the game was, you can also talk about how great a sermon you heard. And maybe that leads to someone saying, oh, really, where'd you go to church? And that's the beginning of that developing that relationship with Christ. Well, thank you for your words of wisdom today, Deacon John. It was fabulous to talk to you, and I learned so much. Well, thank you for having me here. It's been a joy to have the opportunity to share what has been a great God part of my life and that call to be holy. Hopefully we did a little holy work today. If you feel God might be calling you to become a deacon or simply want more information about the permanent diaconate, please call me, Deacon Greg Sass, at the Diocese of Rapid City Chancery Office, 605-343-3541, extension 2228. 